I want you to imagine you just won the lottery. $10 million. You have the lottery ticket in your hand. Those winning numbers right there. You are in complete awe. And all at once, it hits you. You will never have to worry about money ever again. You'll never have to work another day in your life. You can wave goodbye to your boss, your coworkers, and sayonara to those early morning commutes and long evenings at the office. You can buy your dream car, dream homes, vacations. You can help out your friends and family. You can even give back in the ways that you've always wanted to but couldn't afford. Starting your own charities, foundations for causes that you feel passionate about. You're standing in front of the door to your dream life, and you're holding the key. But what if I told you it wasn't going to be a dream life? In fact, it would turn out to be a complete nightmare. Greed and its tight grip has a hold of your life now. Friends, family come out of the woodwork, coming after you for a piece of your winnings. And it ends with a kidnapping and a gunshot. I'm your host, Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark. What I just described to you isn't the plot of a thriller movie. It was reality for an Alabama woman named Tonda Dickerson who won the $10 million Florida lottery in 1999. Her win set off a series of tragic and shocking events. Tonda's story is not only a cautionary tale, but also a really psychologically interesting story of how money changes people. We all know that, hey, get a little cash involved and you will see people's true colors emerge. Everyone has a friend or a family member that the relationship has become strained over money. Maybe you lent them money in a time of need with a promise that they will repay you, but they never do. Or a sibling, believing that you got more than them in an inheritance when a parent passed away. Greed is labeled as one of the seven deadly sins for a reason. It's vicious and turns people ugly. Today's case is a very twisty and turny story that demonstrates greed from start to finish and has the most shocking ending. Before we get into it, if you want all these episodes early and ad-free, join the Avery After Dark Patreon. Only three bucks a month and you get all your episodes early with no ads. Link to that in the show notes to join. And thank you to all my Patreon members. I appreciate you all so much. And as always... You make my heart so happy with your nice reviews on Apple Podcasts. So if you haven't, leave a little review. It helps so much in building Avery After Dark. All right, without further ado, you all know I like getting right into the story. So let's dive in. This is the case of Tonda Dickerson. Our story begins at a Waffle House of all places. On the morning of March 7th, 1999, the employees of the Grand Bay Waffle House were preparing for a busy Sunday morning of serving hot coffee and breakfast to hungry customers. This Waffle House was located in Mobile County, Alabama. The morning started off like any other as the scheduled four waitresses arrived for their morning shift. Those waitresses were Tonda Dickerson, 28, 21-year-old Jackie Fairley, 23-year-old Angela Tisdale, and 45-year-old Sandra Dino. All of them worked under a shift manager, 27-year-old Matthew Adams. As per most in the service industry, these waitresses worked on tips. Tonda Dickerson had worked at the Waffle House for just under a year, about 11 months, and was trying to make some extra money as her car had recently been stolen. In the meantime, she was borrowing her mother's Chrysler to get to and from work. 
She was married to a man named James, and she had a nine-year-old son from a previous relationship. The family was living in a trailer near the Waffle House, actually on a plot of land that her dad owned. So Tonda was working there to support not only herself, but her young child. For those of you who are listening and can sympathize, it stinks to not have a car. I have been without a car during certain points in my life. It leaves you depending on other people, Ubers, cabs. It's just hard not having your own ride. So on those Sunday mornings, the Waffle House employees were expecting their usual rush of customers, some regulars, coming in for their morning breakfast. At one point during the morning shift, in came a regular, a man by the name of Edward Seward Jr. Edward was a 41-year-old former restaurant owner, and he came into the Waffle House to eat every week, so a very familiar face. Edward lived in a small coastal town in Alabama, a few miles down the road from the Waffle House, He enjoyed the food there, and also his sister lived really close to the restaurant, so on his way to or from visiting his sister, he would stop in. Edward really liked the social aspect of coming into the Waffle House as well. He knew and liked talking to all the waitresses. They all got to know each other quite well, so Edward Seward Jr. would come in, eat, chat with the employees and other regulars. But one notable thing about Edward were his tips. He would give $0 tips. Instead of tipping actual money to the waitresses at the end of his meal, Edward would tip Florida lottery tickets. You may be saying, uh, hey now, I'd rather have the money. But these waitresses apparently didn't mind receiving these lottery tickets as tips because they were so elusive, hard to come by. And that's because gambling is illegal in Alabama. The state's gambling laws are pretty restrictive in that regard, They limit it to betting on greyhound dog racing and certain types of horse racing, but any kind of casino-style gambling is strictly prohibited. That means no poker, no slot machines, no sports betting, no craps. Alabama itself has no commercial casinos, only three tribal casinos. There's been countless attempts to legalize gambling in Alabama in the past— 2019, then again in 2021, again in 2022, really every year, but it has stayed illegal and highly restricted. There's many reasons why gambling would be deemed illegal. A lot of states and countries believe that ramifications from underage gambling, addictions, ending your life over severe gambling debts, some feel it's immoral, just too high of a price to pay, and deem it illegal. And by all rights, Playing the lottery is gambling. It's saying, hey, I'll put $5 down to win X amount of dollars. Alabama is just one of five states in the U.S. without a lottery. So as you can see, to receive a Florida lottery ticket as a tip is kind of like, hey, not something that you can get so easily here, so kind of cool. Edward would frequently make the trip to Pensacola, Florida, and would purchase a bunch of $5 quick pick tickets with randomly chosen numbers and dole them out as tips. This was his thing. So that Sunday, Edward came prepared with his lottery ticket tips. He placed each ticket in a sealed envelope with the numbers written on the front along with each waitress's name. One ticket per waitress. And these tickets were for the Saturday night draw on March 6th. But when Edward came in on March 6th, he saw that Tonda Dickerson, one of his usual favorite waitresses, wasn't working. So he decided to hold on to it and give it to her the next morning. And that's exactly what he did. That morning of the 7th, he handed Tonda her envelope, marked with her name and the winning ticket numbers. Tonda says, thanks. She took the envelope, stuffed it in her pocket with the rest of her tips from the morning, 
and went about her day. After Tonda's shift ended, she went home and as per usual, she counted up her tips and then decided to check that lottery ticket. She had never won anything before, so didn't have high hopes. But within a few moments, everything was about to change for Tonda. She opened up the envelope, stared down at those glaring numbers, 3, 4, 7, 36, 39, 40. She glanced up to look at the reported winning numbers from last night's draw, and all six numbers were a match to her ticket. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is this for real? Tonda was completely shocked and immediately dials her dad's number, asks him to confirm the winning numbers, saying, hey, I think I won. Make sure I have the right numbers here. Tonda's dad does, and he confirms to his daughter they are a match. He said, you just won the Florida lottery. But this wasn't $1 million or even $3 million. Psh, that's chump change. Her particular ticket was one of two that were sold in Florida, so they were to be split down the middle. That lottery was a $20 million jackpot, meaning Tonda Dickerson had just won $10 million. Woo! Goodbye $2 tips at the Waffle House. Tonda was now a millionaire. This was life-changing. Tonda was amazed and immediately quit her job at the Waffle House that very same day. Now back at the Waffle House, word began to spread that Tonda had quit out of nowhere. Employees were shocked as they knew Tonda's situation, they knew she had a young son, and depended on her paycheck at the Waffle House. Unless she didn't need the check from the Waffle House anymore. Eventually, her co-workers got wind that although their tickets didn't win, Tonda's did. She's now $10 million richer while they're still stuck at the Waffle House. Hmm. Blood's beginning to boil over there, can you feel it? They said, that could have been me. That should have been me with that winning ticket. Now back at Tonda's, it's a completely different mood. She's coming up with a game plan. This amount of money, Tonda and her family knew that they needed to approach this strategically. Often, advisors will say when you win the lottery, you should open up a savings account, pay off any debts, set aside money for emergency funds, and at the same time, make an investment strategy. Plan your estate. Tonda decided to take the winnings in annual installments of $333,000 over 30 years rather than taking the lump sum. Lottery winners can collect their prize as annual payments or a lump sum. The annual option, often referred to as lottery annuity, gives payments over time, while a lump sum payout distributes the full amount of after-tax winnings. In Tonda's case, she probably took the yearly payout because with the lump sum, she would only get about $5 million, but if they took the money slower over time, they would get closer to $10 million in total. It's personal preference. I think advantages could be argued for both sides. Some say, hey, it's my money and I'm taking what I can now. Some people don't want an allowance. They want to spend what they want. And others would side with a little bit every year is the way to go, slow and steady. So Tonda and her family created a business called Nine Mill Inc. Because originally that's what Tonda thought she was going to get was nine million, but it ended up being closer to 10 million. So this business would hold the earnings when they received them. It was set up that Tonda and her husband James would own 49% of the company, while her parents and siblings would both own 17% apiece. So as you can see from the beginning, Tonda wanted to share her wealth with her family, including them in the business, planning to give them gifts of money. She didn't say, 
see ya folks, I'm taking my money and running. This was really important to Tonda that she take care of her family with this win, which is not something that everyone does. Many say, this is my money and I'm using it on myself. But from the jump, it really looked like Tonda wanted to share her wealth with her loved ones, which is honorable. With the money, Tonda vocalized that she wanted to build a two-story brick house for her family to live in instead of the trailer. And she wanted to replace her car that had been stolen recently so she could have her own ride. That week, while she waited with anticipation, Tonda reportedly slept with the winning lottery ticket in a Ziploc bag underneath her pillow. She dreamed of her new life, having an independence of her own, being able to move out of the trailer she shared with her family, give her son a really amazing life. She said she was going to use the earnings for a college fund for not only her son, but also her nieces and nephews. So overall, Tonda is thrilled. She never imagined a future with this kind of freedom, but this was her life now, onward and upward, or so she thought. She was all set to make the trip to collect her winnings that following Friday. It was going to take a few days for them to make the proper arrangements beforehand. But that Friday came and Tonda excitedly drove to the Florida Lottery headquarters. She was informed that when she got to headquarters, she was going to finalize it all, sign some documents, and most importantly, get her first installment of her winnings. But when she got there, she found out that she would not be getting anything that day. Not so much as a dime. Why? Officials at Lottery Headquarters told Tonda that they had received a notice, a certified letter from two attorneys that said that prize money was being disputed. By who? By Tonda's four employees at the Waffle House. Matthew Adams, Sandra Dino, Angela Tisdale, and Jackie Farley. Two attorneys were representing all four. And these co-workers said that they rightfully deserved a piece of the winnings. They alleged that all the Waffle House employees, including Tonda, had a long-standing verbal promise and agreement in regards to those gifted lottery tickets. They claimed that they promised to each other if any of them won anything, they would share the winnings with each other. And not just share, they wanted to split the money equally. They were alleging that Tonda was now trying to go back on her promise and keep all the money for herself. And not just that, they weren't even willing to wait for their installments. They wanted their money now. And now a quick word from today's sponsors. You're back with Avery After Dark. So in turn, Tonda said, this is all completely made up. She said she never agreed to anything. She didn't promise to split her winnings with her employees. This was all nonsense, and the employees were just upset that she won. They were mad, it was all by chance, and she got that winning ticket, and they didn't. They just wanted a handout. Tonda flat out denied this verbal agreement ever even existed. So her coworkers file a lawsuit against her. And since the coworkers wanted their lump sums now, the lawsuit was going to be expedited in the court system. So keep in mind, Tonda personally hasn't collected anything yet, and she's already being sued. And the story began to gain traction in the news. Alabama and Florida News covered the story a lot, and many became glued to the story. Some said Tonda's in the right. It's her money. It was her tip. This is all baloney. Those co-workers just want a handout. Others say, no, 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 she should have to give them some. They had this Waffle House waitress promise. Either way, it was going to court. And it didn't stop at the lawsuit. Tonda's co-workers pretty much went on this smear campaign. 
talking to the press and telling those in town that Tonda and her family were scamming them to keep them from their money. They alleged that this was all a big concocted plan on the Dickerson's part. So it wasn't just, Tonda, you're backing out of a promise. It's, you're backing out of the promise and we're going to tank not only yours, but your family's reputation in town. Residents start treating the Dickerson family differently. And also, allegedly, the Waffle House employees had hired a private investigator to follow Tonda and her family to get information on them. Information that they could use in the lawsuit to prove that this family was colluding against them. They claim that in those days following her big win, Tonda told them that she had bought the winning ticket off someone else, not Edward Seward. The co-workers believed that she was obviously just doing this because she knew she had made this promise and wanted to keep the money for herself. In turn, Tonda said she was in complete disbelief of how her co-workers were treating her and her family. And these malicious rumors that the co-workers were spreading were really hurtful and damaging. Tonda did admit she made some, quote, misleading statements about where she initially got that winning ticket in those days after she found out she won. But she said this was only so people would give her privacy while she made arrangements for her winning. In an attempt to back Tonda up, her family said the co-worker's theory really didn't make sense. Because Tonda could have driven to the Florida Lottery headquarters the very day she won and collected her millions which wouldn't have given her co-workers any time to hire any attorneys. Tonda's family said she wasn't conspiring against anyone, just trying to keep a low profile in the days following this big win, something that many advise. Many say, if you win the lottery, remain anonymous. Don't tell anybody. That isn't good advice because right now only seven states allow lottery winners to remain anonymous. The only U.S. states where you can remain anonymous if you win are Delaware, Kansas, Maryland, North Dakota, Texas, Ohio, and South Carolina. Other states, like California, entirely forbid lottery winners from remaining anonymous. So point being, a lot of people who win do not have a choice of being anonymous or keeping a low profile. It is suggested that if you do win the lottery, do as Tonda did and keep a low profile, make arrangements for yourself. Although it's never good to lie, you should be low-key. Running around telling everyone, hey, I just won millions, really puts a target on your back. Tonda and her legal team continue to try and get this lawsuit dismissed. All the while, Tonda is back working at a different Waffle House in the area because her lawyer fees are through the roof. Being sued ain't cheap. And the co-workers were aiming for a settlement with her. One offer was, Tonda, you can get 30%, but we'll get 70%. The next offer was, Tonda, okay, you can get 40%, and the co-workers will get 60%. So as you can see, every offer that was sent her way left her with less than half the earnings and her co-workers getting the bulk of the millions. Tonda rejected both offers. She felt like her winnings were being stolen from her, And based on principle, the fact that she never agreed to share anything, she was going to stand her ground. And in her defense, the ticket was labeled with her name. Edward Seward didn't hand them all an envelope with four tickets and say, hey, split it if you win. This ticket was sealed and addressed to Tonda personally. And at this point, Tonda felt like this smear campaign of her and her family had gone way too far. These co-workers made it their life mission to trash her family, accusing them of colluding against them. So it wasn't just the money, it was their reputations. 
But a judge ruled that the court would proceed with the case. It would go to a jury trial, and it was set up for April 19th, and the two-day trial was a reflection of past statements. Tonda claiming there was no promise, no agreement to share the winnings. Her lawyer claimed that these co-workers were, quote, rats coming out of the woodwork, stating that they were the only ones conspiring here, not Tonda. Tonda's lawyer also argued, even if there was this verbal agreement, even if they all stuck their little pinkies in and promised to split $10 million, an agreement of this size would have to be in writing. A verbal promise isn't enough to hold up in court. The co-workers and their attorneys countered and brought up witnesses, regulars at the Waffle House who stated, oh yeah, I heard about their promise to split the winnings. And there was one very notable witness present, Edward Seward Jr., the lottery ticket tipper. The co-workers used him against Tonda. He was questioned, and he said that he gave those lottery tickets under the impression that if anyone won, they would be split between the co-workers. And not just that. He said that he was promised that if anyone won, he would be bought a brand new pickup truck. This witness testimony obviously swayed the jury as it only took 45 minutes to deliberate. They decided in favor of the four Waffle House employees. There would be the lump sum payment and each employee would get 20% of the lottery winnings. The employees jumped for joy at the sound of this cha-ching and Tonda left the courthouse quietly without comment. Almost immediately, the employees were telling local newspapers that they don't have hard feelings towards Tonda and immediately started telling reporters what they're going to buy themselves. Tonda was interviewed after the trial and she said that her winnings were stolen from her through one big fat lie and was going to submit an appeal. Her lawyer said, uh, you're not going to win this. So she got a new attorney that would take the case. Never underestimate the power of an appeal. Because in June 1999, the courts temporarily blocked the distribution of those winnings to the co-workers. And Tonda's new attorneys had a new argument. They said any and all promises of sharing the lottery winnings would be invalid as gambling is illegal in Alabama. They also said that since Edward didn't give that winning ticket to Tonda until after the drawing, it was actually Edward who won and he gifted Tonda the winnings. And these arguments worked. The Supreme Court sided with Tonda five to two. The judges all agreed. Yeah, her lawyers are right. If this group had this promise to split gambling winnings, a contract, a pool, it could not be enforced in the courts. Tonda was entitled to the entire lump sum of money attached to that winning ticket. So that's it, right? That's got to be it. Months of lottery ticket drama. Everyone had their day in court. Tonda pays off her legal bills and rides off into the sunset, right? Nope. There was one person who wasn't going to take this news lying down. Edward Seward Jr. himself, the man who gifted her the ticket in the first place, was now suing Tonda. He alleged she defrauded him. He claimed that he gave her that ticket and thought that Tonda would share the winnings with her co-workers and that he would be gifted that brand new pickup truck, in this suit, he claimed that him tipping Tonda was actually a gift, and he wants that gift back. The lawsuit went back and forth for years, more arguing, more court time. I'm going to save you guys that kind of drama. This lasted for two years. And keep in mind, all this time, Tonda is still racking up these insane attorney fees. She was trying to pay off the first round, and here comes Edward, so now she has even more to pay off. 
And in Tonda's personal life, things had really shifted. She was in the midst of a divorce from James. And big shocker, he claimed that he was entitled to half the 10 million as well. She had also had a recent break-in at her home. Her first ex-husband, Stacy Martin, who she was married to years prior to all this, broke into Tonda's home and attempt to rob her after finding out that she hit the jackpot. He was arrested by Alabama police. But I think anyone who hears Tonda's story up until this point, you're tired for her. She has been battling for years for this money. She has her first ex-husband breaking into her home, and now her second ex-husband is demanding a payout. Whether you believe she should have split the earnings with her coworkers or not, this woman has been put through it. All from that lottery ticket. Anyone and everyone came out of the woodwork for a handout. But finally, things were starting to look up for Tonda. A judge had just thrown out Seaward's suit. Perhaps the end is here. No more legal battles. Maybe Tonda is going to be able to put all of this behind her. Unknown to her at the time, things were about to take a dangerous, shocking turn. And now another quick word from today's sponsors. You're back with Avery After Dark. In the midst of everything else, Tonda's legal battles, her divorce, things were finally starting to look up for her in the winter of 2002. That was until February 8th. At 6.30 a.m., Tonda Dickerson was kidnapped. That morning, Tonda was getting ready for work and hopped in her car when an individual sprinted over to her and forced their way into the driver's side seat. This was an abduction. So who was this individual? Who would do this? One of the co-workers? Edward? Her most recent ex-husband, James? Her kidnapper was her ex-husband, but no, not that one. The first ex-husband. The man who had been arrested for breaking into her home recently, Stacy Martin. As I mentioned, Tonda and Stacy were married years before she won the lottery. Martin was 35 and lived in Jackson County, Mississippi. After Stacy forced his way into Tonda's car, he pushed her into the passenger seat and started driving. He began this erratic, terrifying journey down the highway into Mississippi. As he drove, he kept repeating to Tonda, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Tonda is pleading with him. Please let me go. Please let me live. But he's not stopping. He eventually forced her out of the car when they hit a boat launch in Mississippi. This area was really isolated with no one around to help. When they arrived, Tonda's phone began ringing inside of her purse. She asked him if she could answer it, and he said no. It rang again, and he said, don't answer it. So Tonda tells Stacy. If I don't answer, people will wonder where I am and get concerned. She's pleading with him, and he finally says, fine. Tonda sticks her hand into her purse and reaches for something. Not the phone. Tonda whips out a 22 caliber pistol. As soon as Martin saw the gun, he lunges at her, and Tonda shot Stacy. One bullet hit him on the right side of his chest. After he shot, he jumps on top of Tonda, and wrestles the gun away from her. Now he shot and has the gun, and continues to hold her against her will. Somehow, eventually, she is able to convince him to let her drive him to the hospital. Stacy Martin is bleeding out at this point, and in need of urgent medical attention, or he will die. So he says, okay, 
He ultimately survived the gunshot, and Tonda was not charged in the shooting. Police found that he was wanted on more than just a kidnapping. He had numerous priors in Alabama. And there isn't much I could find on Stacey Martin, what happened to him, what he was charged with in the kidnapping, or if he was even charged. But Tonda returned home safely, traumatized, but unharmed physically, and lived under the radar for nearly a decade. Tonda's story ends years later, in 2012, when she got into a battle with the IRS. They were claiming that Tonda owed them nearly $800,000, and they were battling over these gifts of money that she had sent her family members. These were unpaid taxes. In the end, after all the legal battles, the IRS, it's unknown how much Tonda actually ended up with in the end. Reports state that she received that $5 million lump sum, not the $10 million, and it's estimated that she took in much less than $5 million in the end and had to pay over $1 million to the IRS. As of 2018, Tonda was working as a poker dealer in Mississippi. She moved away from Grand Bay, wanted to get away from all the drama and repercussions from the entire ordeal, and she has chosen to live a very private life since all that went down, and... Who could blame her? This chapter of her life was initially thought to be the best thing that could happen to her, and it ended up being one of the most dramatic and shocking periods of her entire life. So next time you buy that lottery ticket, just think, what if I do win? Learn from this story. Firstly, make sure you don't promise anyone you'll split it with them if you do win, unless you actually will. And secondly, make sure your crazy ex is far, far away. Although Tonda has kept a low profile, opted for a life out of the limelight, the same can't be said about other lottery winners, though. There's always a new headline about a lottery winner taking home a big payout. And I want to cover some really interesting and also pretty shocking stats about lottery winners. Statistically, the odds of winning are 1 in 175 million, According to a few studies, women play the lottery more frequently than men, and the most common purchases after someone hits it big are new homes, vacations, new cars, and sometimes giving money to family and friends. 75% of folks that were surveyed said they are much happier after winning the lottery, but on the other hand, one study of Florida lottery winners showed that 70% of them had spent every last dime of their jackpot earnings within five years of winning. So this is a good question for you. If you won $10 million today, what would change? Would you keep working? Would you quit? Would you work less? Start your own business? Or just spend your days on an island somewhere? That sounds kind of nice. Tonda's story is a very unique, wild one. One with many twists and turns, but generally, Whether that winning lottery ticket ends up being a dream or a nightmare mostly comes down to how you handle it, how you manage your newfound wealth. Because there are a lot of people who win the lottery and go on to live amazing and meaningful lives. You hear a lot more about the ones who end up bankrupt and in despair, but that isn't everyone. Many have used their earnings to build better lives for themselves, for their families, go on to start foundations, help people. So if you do win, which hey, Statistically, you very well could. You could take your millions and do incredible things with it. I know most people would love to win the lottery so they could stop worrying about money all the time, pay off their debts, mortgages, cars, 
And that's a very understandable dream. Personally, if I won the lottery today, I would pop off for a while, honestly. I'd go on some shopping sprees. I've never had a new car. I would love to buy a new car. That would be so cool. I would love to buy my mom a beach house. And I would definitely buy a really big farm and rescue a ton of dogs, cats, horses, cows, you name it. But ultimately, I think buying yourself things would get really old and meaningless. So I would love to use my earnings to set up foundations to help abuse children in need, a foundation for veterans, those who have bravely served our country. That would give my life purpose and my wealth purpose. A new car is very nice, but doesn't give someone purpose. A new handbag doesn't give you a reason to wake up in the morning. But doing something lasting does. I believe that's why a lot of lottery winners end up so bankrupt in the end. They get caught up in that world of luxury, but then people start exploiting you for your money. As I was researching this case, I came across a testimonial from a lottery winner who said, quote, I had one friend who told me the sob story about how behind she was on her local taxes and how they were going to take her house from her because she couldn't pay. After she left, I got onto my computer, looked up her tax records, and saw that she wasn't behind. When I printed out that page and sent it to her, well, that was the end of our friendship. So how sad is that? This person came into a lot of wealth. Not surprising, but people like that will con and exploit for money. Another interesting story I read was from another lottery winner who said that although they were mega rich now after winning, they were looked down upon by the truly wealthy. You can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes as I say truly wealthy. This individual said, quote, After we won, we moved into an exclusive neighborhood and planned a huge 4th of July party. We invited all of our neighbors. None of them came. They all thought that we didn't earn our money. Now, this one really irks me because rich people around the world have no problem sticking their kids in businesses in positions that they haven't earned. Hollywood is rampant with nepotism. It's like a disease out there. Celebrities' kids get huge roles without doing any of the hard work it takes to get them. So I guess these folks are okay with certain people not earning the money, but not lottery winners. Interesting and very hypocritical, if you ask me. And lastly, it's said that when you win the lottery, you could have these lifelong best friends that you believe will be with you until the very end. But when you win the lottery, your lifestyle completely changes. You want to take these luxurious vacations, so you have to find new friends who can afford to do that with you or be willing to pay someone else's way. So winning the lottery can completely change your friend base. And that lifelong best friend that you have had since you were a kid may be no more due to your new wealth. Overall, I always find these stories so interesting to hear what people do with their money, what changes, what doesn't. Fascinating. It is now time for Ask Aves, the segment where I answer questions that you all kindly submitted. Our first question is from Mike Wissinger. Mike writes, Hey Avery, I always wondered if there was a specific true crime case that got you hooked. Also, if you could snap your fingers and make a social media disappear... Which one would you choose? Thank you for your questions, Mike. Mike said that the Natalie Holloway case was the first case that he remembers being interested in. It was all over the news at the time. And he said he retired, which is such a funny way to put it, 
from social media about a year ago, so they can all disappear in his opinion. I cannot help but agree with Mike. I have days where I am so done with social media. If I had to pick one to disappear, Instagram, it's just become such a fake app the past couple years. I joined in the early 2010s when Instagram was so much more fun. It was all of us posting over-edited photos of sunsets. There wasn't this pressure of like looking cool on the app like there is now. So that app has grown pretty tired for me. And I hate to say this one, TikTok. I know it's how a lot of you have connected with me and I've connected with you, but <sighs> TikTok sometimes is just too much. And some of the TikTokers that are propped up and promoted so much on the app, I will never understand. And the case that really got me into true crime, I always was into murder mysteries, Clue being one of my favorite movies. I would have to say that it was either The Zodiac Killer, I watched David Fincher's Zodiac film, and that got me really interested in the case. I know you guys remember I interviewed Paul Avery's daughter, Kristen Avery, on the podcast this summer. So if you haven't checked out that episode, she had some really unique insight into the case and her dad being targeted by the Zodiac Killer personally. Another case, which is a great documentary suggestion if you're looking for one, is The Keepers on Netflix. It came out a few years back and is one of the best investigative documentaries I have ever seen. It investigates the murder of Kathy Sesnick, a nun in Baltimore who was uncovering the abuse of minors by priests in the Catholic Church. I recommend that documentary to everyone. It is so well done. And the story is just really tragic and heartbreaking and frankly, needs to be told. Our next question comes from Kelly. She asks, what are you watching on TV right now? I really need a new show. Thanks for your question, Kelly. I just finished White Lotus season two. For those of you who haven't watched, I suggest giving it a try. It's a pretty entertaining murder mystery on HBO. And warning, it's a bit racy in season two if you find that to be too much sometimes. I found it was a little bit too much at points. But other than that, it's a really good murder mystery. And another one I just started was the new Bernie Madoff documentary on Netflix. His story is still unbelievable to me to this day. I... Honestly, I have a hard time finding new good shows nowadays. I don't know if anyone else can relate. Other than that, I usually rewatch the same shows and movies from like way back in the day and also a lot from like 90s, 2000s, Seinfeld, Breaking Bad. Sadly, they just don't make much good TV and film anymore. It's strange. I will try and start so many shows and movies and I cannot get past the first 10, 20 minutes. Our final question is from Clint. He asks, how long does it take to write and record a podcast? I'm looking into getting into podcasting. Great question, Clint. I had no idea when I started, but I'm happy to share what I have learned. It usually depends, but I spend anywhere from two to four days researching and writing, and then a few hours of filming, followed by a few hours of editing. So all in all, it takes a lot of time. With my cases and episodes, I want to make sure that every detail is accurate, and I really try to take everything that you all tell me and put that towards the next episode. So if you say, hey, I really liked this story, I will try and write or find more stories like that one. So in the end, it's all about you. Thank you for today's submissions, everyone. Be sure to write in your questions to the email listed in the show notes. I can't wait to hear from you all. 
Share Avery After Dark with your friends, family, co-workers. I hope you all have a great rest of your week and a fun, relaxing weekend. Until next episode, this is Avery After Dark.